I am now joined over the phone by a man of many titles. He is the founder and creative director of the award-winning mental health advocate charity A Lust for Life. He's a best-selling author, philanthropist, host of the Where Is My Mind podcast. But today we have him as he is the lead singer for the band The Blizzards, ahead of their new album dropping on Friday. It's Mr. Niall Breslin, otherwise known as Brezzy. How you doing, Niall? You well? I am flying. Yeah, how are you getting on? Deadly, man, deadly. Oh, good. Uh, you were telling me um, we were supposed to grab an old call yesterday and it was no problem that we couldn't, but it was because uh, last minute things were happening. What was going on? Well, we actually had to pick up the albums, the actual physical albums that still do exist in this mad world of the music <laughs> industry. Uh, you know, we, you know, a lot of people still love having a physical record, which is amazing. So, yeah, we, we made the decision to... To, to to do that like some rec- some bands would just keep it on streaming but so yeah they all arrived yesterday like a day early so off I went to get them and I uh, completely forgot about what was going on in my head in the day so I missed everything in the kind of search and exploration to find this uh, these albums which I got <laughs> See, that that is and only like three days before the actual launch of the album and I presume there's a pre-order option available for people as well so even more pressure to kind of get the goods in your hands we, we sign, have to sign them all as well we've, like, we've signed like nearly a thousand copies of the records so that was kind of that was the next thing to, to get underway. So uh. it's, it's all the glamour stuff that you don't see before you put an album out. <laughs> so it was on the Blizzard's conveyor belt where you were just all sitting beside each other passing albums and signing it. Yeah, with big thick heads in those. Oh my God, it's like how many more of these are left. But we got, we got through them all and we're delighted. Yeah, I mean, it's fantastic to have the support. It's brilliant to be able to do it, right? But it definitely, uh, in the moment, you're kind of wishing maybe, you kind of would have said, maybe if we just had our initials on this rather than our actual full names. But sure, look, you're getting through it. I'm just going to take you back a little bit further before we start talking about the album and the uh, the concert to come after that. Um, let's talk about how it is that the Blizzards go about your creative process because the album itself is phenomenal. It's it's an absolute slap. How is it that ye kind of come together and write this? Because there is, I mean, like, there, there's so so much creative flow happening here. So take me through the process of how the Blizzards kind of write all of your music. Well, I, I think this particular record, we were, we, we had said, obviously we've been gig for the last couple of years, and we made the decision very early that we wanted to make an album. I think that's the, that's the job of any artist or band. It's a body of work. Like, it, you can't just keep putting singles out. you got to commit to something. You've got to make a record. That is still so important, even though maybe it's not that important in the industry. It's very important for the artist to put mm. a body of work together and that represents you at that point in time. And with those, we kind of looked at each other and said, we need to go back to the place that got us into this in the first place, that rawness, that garage band feel, the plug-in and play, you know, that that's where we were brought up musically and that's where we wanted to go back to. Along the way, we got, and you do, you get a bit lost, you start chasing radio, you start chasing Spotify playlists, and you start tailoring your music to suit. And that's just not where you want to go. It really isn't. And I've made that mistake and I openly admit that. You know, I, I you kind of, you get a little bit scared at times. So this was all going back to what we loved and known, known. And then what I said to the lads, how I want to approach this record, is I want to start with the lyrics, which is really not many people would do that unless you maybe are a folk singer you would start with lyrics I started with the lyric and I would write the lyric of the song and then I would just to say well this is what this type of music feels like it feels like it's quite a, maybe a slightly introspective slower or a really heavy aggressive track uh, it was all defined by the title and the lyric and then we worked from there and I would send the tracks because at the time we couldn't go anywhere we couldn't we weren't allowed anywhere we weren't able to rehearse we weren't able to go into each other's gardens. It was, right, how are we going to do it? So I was sending files over and back, and the guys were kind of giving me their feedback, and 
that's how we made the record. And the reason I think it feels a bit different to, to maybe our last record is it is. It's it's far to me. It's far more, I think, lyrically stronger because it was something I put a lot of effort into. And then the band just bring their parts and they go, well, this is how I feel this should flow. And, and then you're in the studio, then you're producing, and then you're mixing and mastering, and then you're sitting on radio promoting it. So that's the kind of process. <laughs> and here we are right now. Well, look, that kind of blows my mind, if I'm honest with you, because when I was listening to the album, and you brought out the, the single Trigger Me from the album beforehand, and I mean... That song is like a melodical playground. It's so creative between time, like not time changes, but you know, half times and then different vocal things happening. And it just kind of blows my mind that you approach this song lyrically first and then you just decide, oh, let's do all of these multiple different things in here. And, and it's still all come together so well. So obviously over the years, you've gotten to know each other very well. And so you must obviously feel very comfortable approaching your bandmates and these other fantastic musicians with this work. Yeah, well, I I, I live with Louise, which is always a good help. So Helps, I'd, be, yeah. I'd be able to kind of go into her and go, listen, what do you, what do you think here? What's this? It's, and the way I grabbed the guitar, I remember when I was like 14, 15, I would learn guitar lines and I would sit and I'd learn them from my favourite artists, whether it was Metallica, Pearl Jam, it was whoever. And I would work out the guitar lines and I said, I want to kind of make a record with guitar lines in it where, you you know, maybe someone who's 12 or 13 who hears it goes, I want to learn that guitar line. So for me, the parts of the song were really important. And they can trigger me that riff that, you know, doom, 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 mm. that was a riff that just a minute I played it, I went, that's trigger me. That's what it is. And I kind of, I kind of could feel myself wanting to learn the riff, which is always a good sign. Um, and and that's the same with say Friction Burns was like the riff and that the guitar riff and that it's all a real tip of the hat back to where we we learned our craft which was in like I mean my first ever band was a metal band in the nineties and same with Deck Deck was in bands all all throughout the nineties was kind of grunge and same with Louise so it really is going back to what we are and, and who we are and I think right now that type of music isn't massively uh, I suppose you don't hear a lot anymore, especially on, on commercial radio. It's not, mm. you know, music has always been cyclical and so is radio. So you, you, if you if we had tried to go, let's make a record that could get more radio play, you, you just, you're going to break your heart doing it. And exactly. we've done that. Yeah. And we've done it. And, and you said we, we get it as well. And there's other avenues with Spotify and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, we, we made a record we're very proud of. We, we definitely are. And we know because when we rehearse it, it feels very intense, like live. It translates really well to our live set. Like we were playing them live and we were like, this is really, it's really heavy. It's so much energy. And when that happens, when you know it's transcending to the live setting really quickly and really well, then you're on a winner. Exactly. And, and like, to be honest, from literally track one to 10, like it feels almost like you're at a live performance honestly and you even talk about Friction Burns you played that just uh, last Friday May 6th on the Late Late Show and it was a fantastic live version of it it was rocking it as you say with the guitar riffs and everything and then for track 8 uh, with Something Grips You Something Holds You you kind of like strip it back and again before that there's Play God and everything which you released um, just earlier this year but um, in Something Grips You Something Holds You I wanted to ask you right because the opening lines, I was 14 years old, never heard the word before, a hero's demise, the 8th of April, 1994. I had to Google it, and what came up was that was the date that Kurt Cobain had 
been found dead after committing suicide. And so I was wondering, what was this song about? Yeah, this song was a really important one to us. Uh, it was, you know, when I was 14, Kurt Cobain, like pretty much most of the people in my school, was our hero. Like, and we we adored him and we adored Nirvana. And it was, at the time, it just, you know, Smells Like Teen Spirit felt like it was literally, it was the message messaging of youth. That's what it was. And when he died, I'll never forget it. I remember walking into school and seeing it on the front of a paper and just feeling physically sick and saying to the teacher that day, I said, like, what happened? You know, like, confused. We all were. And he, the teacher punched the desk and screamed in my face and called him a coward. And that had this huge impact on me for the rest of my life. You know, it really hit me. It was like, we weren't allowed to say the word suicide in school. You know, it was it was really strange. So we didn't know, like, what what what, what happened? Like, what's going on here? Mm. And the song is about that day, but the song is about the words I should have been told that day. These are the words you should have been told. You should have been held in this fear by the teacher. Mm. And Michael Harding, who's one of my favourite poets, came onto the track, and he's in the track at the end. And what he says is exactly what I should have heard. And that's what the song is about. And at the very end, you know, Michael says these words. I, I was chatting to him and he goes, you know, when you really feel that life is, is just, it just has, has you, you know, something still grips you, something still holds you. And that to me was hope. That's what, that's what it is. And that's where that song came from. And I think for a lot of people who've heard it, it's their favourite track mm. because it is a very much a story that anyone my age will have a huge, huge relation to. And anyone really who has, who has, either lost somebody through suicide or, you know, people who, who understand that pain. That's what the song is about. It, it is about that day and, you know, the journey we've gone on as a country where, you know, back in the 90s we weren't even allowed to say the word, but now we're, we've moved on so much and it's something we're so, we should be really positive about. And that's what the song kind of tips the hat to. Mm, I can't believe that that's actually a true story because you make reference to what your teacher does in the chorus. And you know how sometimes you might flare up reality to kind of make it a bit more dramatic for film or for song or anything. So the fact that that is real and you were only a child, that that is incredible. And I have to say, you captured it phenomenally. And Michael Harding, the addition, his addition at the end of the track is so... It's so eye-opening, and I particularly love the line, you're the most beautiful thing that's happening to you anywhere. And I think it's so, it is, it's a very, very grounding song. And as you say, definitely should be up there as a favourite. I won't ask you what your favourite song is, because uh, that's like telling you to choose which one of your kids is your favourite. Um, but I know for me, personally, uh, I don't know if it's supposed to be the title track of the album, but sometimes we see more in the dark. I'm just casually listening to that now at all times. I think I even have it written down here, uh, the chef's kiss emoji. I mean, the hook. It's like a rock couch party man it sounds so good and it sounds like you're going back very much to your roots with this kind of song and with wartime general and great party like these these are such amazing songs and from start to finish it's just it is probably the album of the year that is going to be produced from ireland it, it's it's putting well, up means, means a lot man and i think you know we've it, we definitely put a lot into the messaging in it and you know you mentioned those songs like wartime general like wartime general is quite important because it's about being able to stand up for yourself, you know, in a world that thinks it can rob you from your integrity with a tweet or somebody thinks they can say things about you that nobody defines you, nobody. And I think that was like wartime general. It's like, I'm an incredibly peaceful person. 
But for you, I'm a wartime general. I'm not having that. I'm yeah. not having that. And it's about being assertive in a, in a world that can, can walk all over you sometimes. And then, I mean, great party, you're not invited. It's about Boris Johnson. You know? yeah. <laughs> but it's more about kind of the fact that, like, while we were not allowed to leave our homes, you know, the political class were partying. And it was like, hold on a sec. And it was kind of written around George Orwell's Animal Farm, which I, I remember doing in my leaving search. <laughs> and it, it was the idea that, like, hold on a sec, I wasn't able to bury my uncle. And you were having a, you've been in partying. It's about, it's about self-entitlement, really. And mm. it's about the fact, you know, that the, the lyric in it is like, great party, you're not invited. And we're the people not invited. And it's about, you know, the idea of, do you really want to go to that? Do you really want to be in it? A party there exactly. where there's no values, no morals, no ethics. Yeah. Um, so slightly political, but you know, <laughs> I, I, I am, and I think this pandemic has been. Um, it's made everything political to all of us, you know. Mm. But I think how ye you turn this very serious message and in a way kind of a middle finger F you to, to different directions um, and you make Great Party You're Not Invited into a bit of a bop like you've turned it into this like really like hit rock song and then at the same time even breaking things down melodically with like wartime general the use of the old bells that you have ringing in the background sometimes and that kind of radio box vocal effect you're setting this like kind of battle line atmosphere in the song and you just succeed at kind of every corner that you seem to want to go to. And like talking about this album, it's dropping May 13th on Friday and then you're celebrating it in the Academy in Dublin on May 14th, which is a Saturday night. How are you feeling coming towards the weekend? Yeah, I feel, and I think it's probably important I point out as well that this album was produced by myself and a Tullamore man, Aidan Cunningham, and he mixed the whole record as well. So it's a very much a Midlands affair, this, this record. And... He was amazing to bring on to it because he's a he's kind of from a metal background and he was like, No, no, we need we need to get this sounding a little bit more like the blizzards. But for this week, I I, I won't lie, I, I get really anxious and really overwhelmed the week of an album coming out. it's just normal, it's healthy, it's just the way it is and I worry about what people are gonna think, I worry about what my family are gonna think. It's just all normal nerves that you feel and I'm also really excited to get people to hear it. The gig now that allows me to deal with it because I know with the gig is just, it's what I've missed the most out of everything is those performances and getting on stage and I play these songs in rehearsals with the band and they just sound so intense and face melty and <laughs> uh, I cannot wait to get on that stage. The Academy is a real, um, it's a real rock stage. It's a really great stage to play. Uh, I think it's the first, we played it years ago on the Domino Effect tour and I remember playing, you know, Trust Me My Doctor for the first time live in the Academy and the reaction I had. So yeah, to be back there for this gig is special. And it's hard because gigs are, you know, people are still not fully ready, I think, for gigs. I think people are still a little bit, a bit wary and I understand that big time. You know, my parents, I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I want you to come, but I'd love you to be there if anything. So for me, the best way to support bands that have had an absolute, like tragic two years is to go to live music. It simply is the best single way you can help a band so if there's people listening to this and they're like well I might go up please do because it makes a huge difference to us definitely and it's nice as you say like especially in the academy it's big but it's intimate all at the same time like you, you could see everybody in the crowd if you really want to and it's going to be an absolutely rocking night. I, I cannot wait I'm kind of hoping to grab myself an old ticket now Brezzy I'm not going to lie I'm, well I'm a... I, I, I'd say after that interview you'll be the first on the guest list to be <laughs> <laughs> Oh, fantastic. Be there. 
Well, that's that's now on record, so I'm going to uh, call your agent and uh, we'll <coughs> get that sorted. Well, we, would love, we would love to have you there. You've been, you've been brilliant. Uh, look, Niall, thank you so much, man. And thank you so much. On No doubt you're, you're taking a break and the rest of the band is inside still signing albums and there's a pile starting to grow with your name supposed to be on it. So we'll let you get back to Niall, but thank you so much for taking the time and a huge best of luck for the album and the weekend ahead. It's going to be phenomenal. Thanks so much. Appreciate it, lad.